Greetings, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is an audio archive created specifically for somatic experiencing students and practitioners everywhere and other folks in the helping professions incorporating the somatic healing arts into their work, helping people feel better in their bodies on this planet in these times. Hello, I'm Twig, and I'm here with another episode, episode 107, to continue a little mini-series that we're doing on the value, importance, opportunities to be found in the VU sound. And in this case, we'll title this episode, The Many Reasons for the Vu That You Do. I apologize. I know that title sounds terrible. However, it came to me like years ago, 10 years ago. I haven't been able to displace it. So there we go. The Many Reasons for the Vu That We Do. We're going to talk about the kind of opportunities, some of the rationale behind the VU. Last episode 106, I gave a personal accounting of a recent experience episode where the VU sound was critical to my recovery of my well-being. Yay. There's more that we can't get to in this episode. So next time, we'll also continue the same theme, but we'll look at application and invitations for bringing people into the VU, practicing that with you, exploring that with you, experiencing that together, application. And then, although I think we'll probably get on a couple pieces of it, I think there needs to be another episode, and that would be the physiology of the VU sound. There's a lot going on. There's more going on than most of us tend to imagine. But we, we can plumb some of it together on this SE Reflections podcast series. So let's look at the many reasons for the VU that you do on my way to them. I got to do my thing. I got to do my thing. It makes it laborious for you, dear listener, but it's the only way to have the necessary platform enough safety, as it were. So we got to do the caveats, what this episode can't do, what it shouldn't do, why it's, it's got stuff associated to it. Let's have some caveats. One, we already did apologize for the title, the many reasons for the voo that you do. Ugh. Terrible. Okay. Next, you know, a major problem for me is talking about the VU in a public forum, somewhere like the internet. Because it's any day. I, I'm, I'm almost expecting it any hour. Maybe it's already happened and I'm unaware of it yet. But any day, it's going to be a rage on some social media thing. There's going to be a biohack that centers the VU sound, and it is the new way to regulate your vagus nerve. It's, it's going to come. It's going to happen. And I, uh, I am wary of contributing to that. We use this in somatic experiencing for 
good reasons for important reasons for reasons that have multiple things to be considering, variables to consider. And to treat it as a one-size-fits-all kind of thing, it's problematic. It's seriously problematic. And for shortening its explanation into a hack is it's going to decapitate so many of those variables. It's going to be a shame when that happens. And, and I, I don't want to really add to that, but I'm aware that I'm likely doing that or helping that to happen in the world. And I apologize, but that's also one of the reasons that I'll make this somewhat laborious. If, if you want what I have to share about this, you're going to have to listen through. That'll require at least some of your investment. Okay, so woe comes the day when everything gets truncated down into its simplest, most bite-sized, capitalized form. Oh, until then, long live the nuance of the Vu sound, and we'll, we'll get into some of those nuances. Next is that caveat. I'm, I'm not you know this, dear listener, I'm not an SE faculty, and I'm not sanctioned by anybody organizationally or professionally to talk about this at this level. I'm not here to reproduce the SE training. I'm a big fan of the SE training. I'm a big supporter of the SE training. I did it myself. I've assisted with it for decades, decade, more than well over almost two decades. No. Yeah, something like that now. It's dear to my heart, and I don't mean to compete or suggest anything like this is where you learn that stuff. This is where you and I, me and your ear, right now, we talk about the things that you already know about. And I give you a little solace and accompaniment in putting them together, things that you've heard from other people who are sanctioned to talk about this kind of thing. That said, uh, you know, it's one of the pain points of my life. I do SE consultation with folks, students and practitioners on the regular. That's an enjoyment. I love that. And it's my daily work. You can hire me for that. That'd be great. I'd love to talk with you. But in any case, I, I'm, I'm having those conversations with folks for years. And a most common comment comes forward. I don't use the VU sound. We, we learned that in the training. I never took it home with me. We barely learned it in the training. I didn't understand it in the training. I did it with somebody and they thought it was weird. And so I didn't try it again. There's so many reasons that people give. And it's, it's rare. It's too rare in my experience that somebody comes forward and says, well, I finished the training, and I am exploring this, and a little unsure about that, and one thing I'm definitely doing is the VU sound a lot with people. I got to do a couple consultation days or demo days with Peter Levine or a couple classes. I saw him use the VU sound a lot, and I thought, oh yeah, there's like some 
reasons behind it, and, and I use it all the time for various different reasons. I don't hear that often enough. I, I, I rarely hear that. And I, I should, you, dear listener, you should come to a point, I hope, that that's how you would talk about this. You'd say, oh gosh, tried it for this reason. I used it over here. I, we, I, in a way, kind of use it with everybody for different reasons. Not everybody, everybody, not all the time with everybody, not as though it's somatic experiencing, like it fills in for the, what is somatic experiencing, but definitely that it should be integral to your repertoire. Last caveat, I'll probably in this episode, in this whole series, maybe even if we go over each one too long, I'm going to leave something out. I just, I feel it hiding. What am I forgetting? I'm not trying to be exhaustive and answer every last aspect of what I think I know or have heard about the Vu sound, but my process is so imperfect that as I've thought about this over the years, what are the many reasons for the Vu that we do? I've collected so many different parts of that or heard or kind of grokked so many different parts that make me realize that it's broad and vast and if I'm not taking exquisite notes and keeping them all in the exact same place over a long period of time with an ability to review all of them together, then I could very easily be missing something. In fact, what I realize is that I might have become so enamored with several of the things that I consider to be super cool and valuable about it that I, I could have missed the primary point or points about it, which would be awkward. But I, I imagine that that could be possible. So, you know, in the same way, I guess I could have absorbed this at some point so long ago at this moment that somehow I've gotten it wrong and I describe it wrong. But by talking about it with you here, one of you are going to hear how I've got it wrong. And then you get to let me know. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I kind of get it. But in any case, those are my caveats. My title, it's terrible. We've got to watch out for things getting oversimplified and becoming an instant hack for feeling a particular kind of way. And I'm not making any official declarations that this is exactly what the VU is all about, but I am sharing with you understanding at least at least a dozen i think a dozen different reasons for the vu that we do ready let's do it okay well let's go over some of the more common that i hear examples of reasons that people use the vu sound i hear that it's used as a calmative or something that can calm people down so either as a grounding centering thing to begin with or with rising activation, a person's getting activated and the practitioner might say, well, let's use the VU sound with a, something of an intention. This is going to calm the person down. And that, that works, except in the times that it doesn't. But that's definitely a, a thing that I hear. I use it as a, a way to calm the system. 
I also hear people describe using it as a way to help a stuck thing move, particularly when the stuck thing is localized to areas where it feels more related, like a stuck feeling in a, the throat or a stuck feeling in the breathing, like I, I can't get a breath, I feel tight in the chest, I feel stuck in the throat. And I know practitioners that will say, oh, um, let that happen. You know, if, if you can let it happen, oh, it stays the same. Client might say, oh, it just stays the same. And practitioner might then say, okay, well, let's, let's do this thing. Let's make this sound and feel the vibration as you make the sound and see if that stuck or tight feeling changes somehow. So it's kind of like an input into that localized area in order to help a stuck thing to move again. Another reason that people report to me that they do the VU sound with clients is to do something that's genuinely SE, kind of like, oh, this is, this is an SE kind of activity. We're going to give our bodies a sensation. We're going to make the sensation happen by making the sound. And we're going to feel the sensation and give our bodies time to feel and witness the sensation and be curious about how our bodies respond to that kind of experience, that somatic experience of this sensation happening as we, after we make this sound, the sound coming along with this, as all sound does on some level, but this sound in particular really affecting the notion of vibration inside of our body cavities. And so I hear people definitely describe, oh, I want to do something that's genuinely somatic experiencing. And this is a kind of thing like that. Let's make a feeling happen and then feel that feeling. So I, de I definitely hear those. And there are others that you might use. I, I don't intend to leave any of the important ones that other people report out. And I'll mention like this other long series that I just think is probably vast, probably more than I could remember or account for here. But you know, the first thing I would call toward our attention is that it's not a uniform stimulus. So anything that we use it for is variable based on who the person is, the amount of, quote, the VU sound that we do, and the kind of nervous system organization that the person we're doing it with is experiencing or expressing. So, you know, one of the physiological aspects of the VU sound is the need to coordinate oxygenation and vocalization. So you have to like, with the instructions, right? Like take in an easy inhalation. You don't have to make a big deal of it, but just take in a nice, easy, full breath. And then as you let out the breath, you're going to make this sound. And 
In that, there's a request to coordinate breathing and vocalizing. And that should be, or could kind of be imagined, that it should be, that's <laughs> kind of how it should be, should be organized by the ventral vagal complex, right? It's part of the social engagement system to have the voice make sound. I know we make sound when we're dominated by the, by the sympathetic system. We can make sound when we're even dominated by the dorsal vagal complex, but the sounds sound different. The body works different. The body works different when the ventral vagal complex is dominant, when the sympathetic complex is dominant, when the dorsal vagal complex is dominant, and different parts of the body work more or less depending on which of those subsystems is working more at any one moment. The expression of that is localized on different parts of the body. The eyes show the quality of tension that goes along with the sympathetic or the quality of glaze that goes along with the thousand-mile stare of the dorsal vagal freeze and mobility state or the kind of warmth and availability and access to peripheral vision of the ventral vagal social engagement system, the ventral vagal complex. The eyes express or show really effective view into autonomic expression, autonomic state. Same thing with availability of the facial muscles to express themselves or the, the head and neck to move freely from the neck or not, or move at all or not, move spontaneously or not, move stochastically or smoothly. Those are all expressions of the body's repertoire based on neuroception and the moment-by-moment -moment expression of autonomic nervous system state. And, you know, one of our tasks is to get good at reading these kind of things and seeing their relationships so that we recognize that a person who has a hard time organizing breathing with vocalizing, it says something about their ventral vagal complex, at least right now, being compromised. And the same goes with different styles of that difficulty in coordinating breathing and vocalizing. You know, it can, it can be like a going to the end of the sentence until you get to the end of the sentence because you're pushing to get to the end of the sentence before you're going to take a breath, before you can take a breath and catch on to your, going on to the rest of your sentence. Or it can be a more difficult thing to just get enough air together in order to make sound happen. Or with the ventral vagal complex, ideally, there's enough air, as it were, you know, enough movement across the vocal cords to produce sound with relative ease and to have the coordination of breathing, in, inhaling, and exhaling happen with ease with speech. And the ventral, oh no, excuse me, the VU sound, it's a kind of discrete request on that system to coordinate oxygenating, taking this breath in, and then vocalizing, letting this breath out while making this sound. Not everybody is organized in the same way. Not everybody is going to be able to do that in the same way. Therefore, one of the central things for us to get at with the VU sound to just 
talk about all of its values is that it's variable. It needs to be variable depending on what you're trying to do with it and depending on the person you're doing it with in that moment, their, uh, you know, their autonomic nervous system state and which changes. And for some folks, it's, there's kind of a dominancy that is repetitive, but it, it needs to be assessed. And the request of the VU sound is exquisitely titratable. So it's both relative to the person's, in a word, neuroception or their body's current nervous system state and ability to coordinate oxygenation and vocalization. It goes beyond that, but that's at least one aspect of the request. And the amount of the request, um, it's highly influenceable by you, the practitioner. So um, amongst all of the reasons to do the VU sound, or maybe in fact, kind of at the front of all of them, is a quality of experimentation or curiosity, wherein what's the effect of this? What's the right amount of this? What's the effect of this at a quote, lesser amount? What would be the effect at a higher amount, more request? Um, and so here, just wanna like call us to like a way that in the past, and I'll kind of go over this a bit more in the next episode, but in the past and maybe still happens, but in the past, Peter Levine always used to introduce this as a quote, wacky little experiment. Like I'm sure he's had other language for it at times, but there was a multi-year period where in whenever I would have the opportunity to witness him introduce this to somebody, he would say, I wonder if you'd be willing to do this wacky little experiment with me. And you know, that's like one of the biggest things about why for the reasons of the VU that we do, um, it, it sets up this environment of curiosity, experimentation, exploration, and uh, you know, kind of on the edge of this, it's providing a context where the practitioner has at least some period of time where we get to have a stronger influence over the titration or the amount of that exploration or the amount of the stimulus that is going to come from the request. So we'll go over a little bit more of that a little bit later, but here, as we go into this, I gotta say like the, so many reasons for the VU that we do because it's variable. It's variable and it has a different impact. It has a different impact at different levels, different degrees, different titrations on different people at different times. And so amongst the various reasons for the VU that we do, it depends on the context. It depends on the request. What reason will be valid for doing it? It's not a one size fits all, nor is it only used for one situation, nor would in any one situation, the same degree 
it's the one size fits all thing. But in any one situation for different people, it's not done exactly the same. So it's variable. So we'll go over that more. But this, this kind of calls out a point that we, you know, try not to be a jerk, but one of the facetious things said before, it, it's a calmative, SE, a lot of people in SE land use the VU sound as a calmative, as a way to calm things down, as a way to ground and center, as a way to settle, as a way to provide a kind of antidote to rising activation. And it works, you know, sometimes, a lot of the time, almost all the time, except that one time, there are times when it's definitely not a calmative, it's an active stimulus that's largely based on the degree of the request, the amount of the VU that's trying to be done, and the person's relative capacity for oxygenation and vocalization. I mean, maybe there are other things going on at the same time, but that's a good way to see that their system doesn't have a sufficient ventral vagal influence so that a stronger VU request could be harder for their body to organize to make happen and therefore something more like a stressor, more like a stimulus than something that is more like a settling signal or a kind of calming sensation or a safety signal of free movement in the viscera instead taken more as a, a demand that is hard to meet and something more like a stimulus or an excitatory force instead of the intention to just calm down with it. Variable and in used in some uniform way in different circumstances going to get different results. Okay, so other reasons for the VU that we do. One of the, uh, I, I probably say this a dozen times, but one of the greatest things about it is it helps to organize activation and deactivation cycles. It's this visceral stimulus that you as the practitioner get a stronger degree of influence over the amount of the stimulus than if you were inside the content. Gosh, I sound a little patterned when I say that, but I've, I've said this too many times, so it's like helpful to say it here. Um, and I apologize, I probably just sound just like one of those guys. Okay, but it is that. It's this um, thing that we have as practitioners, we have a greater degree of influence over the degree, the amount, the titration, the amount of stimulus to the system. We have some degree of influence more when clients will give it to us, they'll work with us when we're inside of people's content. You know, they're inside their content, they're talking about their things that have hurt, that have happened, that are unresolved. Maybe they're talking about things that were really positive, but everything is related to everything else, and particularly positive things often are related somewhere to a negative thing. So even if we're talking about something really positive, in fact, all the more so if it's really positive, you know, it's like got a lot of it, activation to it, but on a positive counter vortex element side of it, it's very likely in association to something else that is negative. Ne um, even if it's positive, 
uh, it could still be an issue. But when, what we're talking about here is that inside of content, the practitioner has much less control or influence over how much activation or how much stimulus we're working with at any one time, because the nature of the content is unknown to the practitioner. I mean, more or less, the next thing that could be said or the associations that are going on for the client at any one moment are potentially much grander, bigger, more troubled, more excitatory than the practitioner knows, or that you can kind of deftly organize around, let's talk about it only that much, call up only this much amount of activation so that it's not so threatening that when we turn your attention to the activation, it'll be hard, impossible to pay attention to what's your body's response as we're talking about this content. That, that is hard to do if what you turn your attention to in the body experience is just so much of itself and so unpleasant, it becomes impossible to kind of like be with it without trying to do something like get away from it or change it to be something else or be overly bothered by what it is. And content, while it is helpful to organize attention and the coherent narrative and call forward these associations, it's harder for a practitioner to refine the amount of stimulation called up from the experience. And so the VU sound, it has that advantage to it where you get to model the VU, you get to suggest um, that we do it, how long it goes, you get to show how long it goes while the person's doing it, you get to say that's perfect, that's enough, that's great, oh, oh yeah, perfect, let's just let that rest from there, or Peter's classic, and rest somewhere along the trajectory of the VU. It's so helpful to have content-free activities that are stimulus to the body that allow you to have something to track and get more accustomed to tracking things that activate and things that deactivate, to ride activation and deactivation cycles, to ride along waves of activation and deactivation. And the VU sound has the whole process like baked right into it. You do this thing, you got something to pay attention to after you've done this thing, you don't keep doing the thing, particularly not at first and the initial titrations, why not start where what you're really going to affect is that transition of something happens because of the action to take a breath and make the sound and feel the vibration and all of that business. And then not adding more to it and not starting with it being too excitatory, you get to watch it taper and watch it decrease and watch it, you know, diminish and watch it deactivate. And it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, multi, multifaceted aspect of this. It's a beautiful way to uh, help people experience of a central feature of our process, tracking activation cycles, waves of activation. It's a beautiful way to give titrated experience to the body of 
having a um, acceptable kind of like window of tolerance definitely easily particularly at first glance or first experience of it definitively within like the range of ease of being able to do this I make the sound I'm able to feel that there's something there I'm able to feel that the something there that was there goes away you know it it harkens me back to a line that Peter said uh, 2004 in an advanced tra- 2005 February 2005 in an advanced training and Peter introduces the VU sound to a demonstration person who had come in and after writing this inconsequential like a feeling was there and the feeling went away I heard him say oh that's how we're going to do all of this we're going to do it all in waves and we're going to watch a feeling come and then we're going to watch a feeling do itself and happen and then we're going to watch it go away before we try to take on another wave and the waves might get bigger but as we go and we succeed at riding each wave we'll see that the bigger waves are easier to ride i mean that that kind of says it all right there that is so much one of the greatest values of the VU sound is that it gives an organizing activity to help a person who lacks familiarity with writing activation and deactivation cycles without getting overly involved in the activation part and thwarting the deactivation part. It gives you a, a thing to do and a thing to track that is more generally speaking content neutral if if content really has a lot to do around breathing being seen vocalizing there are adjustments that have to be made for that to make it titratable to where it's acceptable but generally speaking it's content neutral and it is a stimulus that the practitioner gets to read what's the right amount to help this person's body be able to do this and not find it overly challenging or offensive to do so that the experience of something happening and then that something in a word diminishing and going away becomes something we can do together we can have happen together it's one of the many reasons for the VU that you do is so that you can call back the success of these experiences later on when you're inside of content someday sessions down the line after you've done the VU sound you're inside of some story the story is hot and heavy those happen they need to be talked about at times person's talking about something hot and heavy that's happened to them and you're seeing the activation clearly in the room they're talking faster their their posture is getting tighter and tighter Um, all of the signs of their increasing activation are in the room And you can see if they were to continue to talk further, they would become overly activated by the topic of concern, by this stress response that they've entered into by recounting this and all the associations to it. And you wouldn't have any hope of asking them to let their body process that, let their body like feel that, let their body transition with that. When you ask them into their somatic experience as it were a few minutes more 
they're just going to be overwhelmed by what they feel. And so somewhere along the rising action, you, you see that this is enough. We've got enough elicited right now, and we can do this storyline in rounds, in waves of activation. And so there's an opportunity then to say something like, oh, wow, you know, I want to hear, oh, I, 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 I want to hear everything else. I know, I know you want to tell me everything else. It's so important. We, we, it's so important you tell me everything else. And this is just like when we did the Vu sound. This is just like when we did the Vu sound. I don't know. Can you feel like how things are stirred up now? Are things stirred up? Do you notice things being stirred up as we're talking about this kind of hot and heavy thing right now? Oh, you can. Oh, this is like when we did the Vu sound. This is like when we did the Vusan, we didn't just keep doing more and more and more of the Vu. We did some of it, and then we paused, and then we allowed you time and attention and space to let your body kind of ride with and track the feelings that were elicited or came up from the Vu. And then we watched that as they changed. And now, what we can do is we can pause the story and we can come back to it in a few moments. We can come back to it in a few moments. And right now what we can do is we can turn your attention to letting you do like you did when you did the Vu sound and just let your body feel what it feels right now and let yourself feel what you feel and be curious as you let yourself feel what you feel. What do you notice? And what happens with it as you notice it? Does it, what does it do? It stays that way. It changes in some way, just like when we did the Vu sound. If you've already done that kind of thing with a more content neutral activity like the Vu sound, it gives you that shared language and the client's shared experience with tracking themselves. And it gives you an opportunity to bring that skill and that experience into the session where the it's the content that's arousing things. It's so helpful if you have prior experience with people doing something like that, and it's much easier to help them get that foundational experience if they don't come ready-made with it. It's helpful to help them get that through content-free experiences that give you a something to track, like with the Vu sound, where you have this activation and deactivation cycle baked into it. You're gonna organize to do a thing, and then after you've done it, you let out this sound, you feel the end of that part of it from the doing of the vibration and the making of the sound, and afterwards you kind of give over a moment to see what happens next. And as an organizational aspect of this, you want to start with something that's small enough that it is going to deactivate. It is going to taper. It is going to go away so that you're helping to establish that pattern rather than do so much of it that it might send off more arousal for a person or just kind of trigger another wave of activation for every amount of it that starts to settle, which is a comment on kind of the nature of global high intensity activation and the need for us to be able to read well, really, like, how is this person's nervous system organized right now? And does it have 
access, is there access here to activation and deactivation cycles? And if not, then we really want these initial VU sounds to be small indeed, like just really miniature, inconsequential. One of my um, primary lines for this is we're going to do this thing and it's going to feel super banal. This is kind of like the inv invitations for next time, but it's like this and it's important to say it now. It's like this is going to be super banal and I don't know, probably inconsequential, but we should do it so that we can build on it and become more and more familiar with this together so that we'll be able to use it to your advantage as we go along. And to be able to start from something that really doesn't take much risk of it being a runaway train because it's a nothing. And then in its nothingness, the next line is, oh, it was nothing. Oh, good. Well, if it was nothing, maybe it's okay if we come back and do this sometimes. And if it's nothing, we can just kind of build it up and help it become more interesting over time. And next thing, one of the great things about the VU that you do is it gives people something to do. And if you get the titration small enough where it's not super stimulating and doesn't give the person just forever to go on tracking themselves or forever to go on tracking something that gets more out of their control. Um, this, by the way, could be two different things. One is that some people will just take it as the stimulus to track themselves for hours and, you know, understandably so, I kind of jive with that, but it's also not super helpful if that's what they're doing all the time. And the other was that their system is just so rev for any stimulus where they're paying attention to themselves. It's um, another way to reinforce that something feels off inside. So as primary examples of reasons to do this, the VU is great homework as a really small thing to do. One of the reasons for the VU that we do is that it gives a person something to do at home in between our sessions that if set up correctly, uh, you know, correctly, correctly could be so many different ways. It could be, this is really super interesting. Put yourself in a space for 15 minutes where you can do several rounds of the VU sound and track it at a really deep, exquisite level. So that's part of the variability of this. But from like a kind of beginning or needing to have something to do kind of stage of the work, it's wonderful in that it can be done so small and inconsequentially and in the background of people's daily lives. We're really doing something like the VU sound all the time. We're talking. I mean, not of all of us talking with so much ease all the time, but more or less, most of us are talking. And that's what the VU sound, it's kind of a central feature of what it's doing. It's vocalizing and um, it's creating this vibration. Sound waves are vibration. When we're speaking, air is crossing across the vocal cords, right? The larynx and pharynx. And as it does that, it's vibrating those quote vocal cords, the little muscular strands, I guess tendinous strands, and as they, maybe ligamentous strands, and as they vibrate, they vibrate the air. And as the waves in the vibration move through the air, if something else with a apparatus that can translate those sound, those waves into kind of the translation that represents sound, they'll hear something. 
you know, so that, that vibratory action of speaking, that's something we're doing all the time. And the Vu sound is asking us to just kind of do that a little intentionally with a sound. We'll go over some of this, but with a sound that makes more of an intention for vibration. And usually it's true, but it doesn't have to include then paying attention to what is the bodily influence of that vibration. But that's an aspect of the titration of the Vu is that it can include attention to those dynamics or not. It can include more vibration and it can include longer length. Let's do that for a moment. What are the titratable elements of the Vu sound? You can titrate its length. Vu, it goes on and on and on, or it's really just like, just Vu. I mean, that's, that's a Vu sound. It's like, what'd you think of that? That was an eighth of a breath. It was like a sixteenth of a breath. If it was a long, long breath, that was like a hundredth of a breath. Or it can be a Vu, and it just, you know, goes on and on and on and Vu, you know, so like how long is the Vu? So that's titratable. The depth of it, the kind of resonance quality in it, that is a, a kind of a dial, a channel, an aspect that we can help to titrate how much stimulus, how much request, how much input, how much influence, also how much we pay attention while it's happening, as well as how much we pay attention after we did it. You know, and if we, if we dial all of this back to like basic homework, hey, you know, uh, we don't want to make a big deal of this. We just want your body to feel this a little bit more often every once in a while through your day. Um, you know, it's kind of like, again, an invitation, but I could give a little rationale. You know, it's like we're describing feelings that feel stuck, that don't move. It's kind of numb inside. There's just this little thing that when we vibrate sound, when we make a sound, when we vibrate our throat with air, it makes a little vibration inside of our body, which gives our body a little something to feel and something to happen, something to pay attention to. And we're just talking in there a little bit. Not much though, because generally, you know, it feels kind of numb. So what we'll do is just say like every once in a while in the day, um, you're just transitioning between one task and another. And as you're walking down the hall, you'll just do a little like, um, you know, there's, there's other ones, but it's to, to say that it doesn't have to be a big deal every time that it happens. In fact, a central thing, a central thing, a real thing, a desire inside of the Vu sound is for people's bodies to feel more allowance for sensation and vibration or vibration and sensation. Vibrations are a central feature of like how the body communicates and how things move and how things feel and how things are felt. And the Vu sound is literally playing with asking the body to feel vibration and titrating how much of that happens is a design to help it be not irksome at first for a body that's not moving or feeling itself very much, but to happen more often so that it's able to happen 
at a smaller degree, at a more titrated level, to make it more okay to happen more. And really, that's going to help it become more of itself, where it's more tolerable, more in the, quote, window of tolerance, to explore having more of it, longer, deeper, more attention to it, all of those things. But to start with, rather than trying to have any one vu be super profound and change the world and change this person's life, particularly for homework style stuff, we want this to happen more often. And so we just want it to be a kind of a thing that you're able to do and that's able to happen to where this feeling or some kind of influence from this vibration, vibratory feeling, other aspects of the VU as well, but definitely that one is a central one. We want it to be able to take place more often so that your body will experience free vibration, free movement, free oscillation, free pendulation inside of itself more often. So the VU, it's a really lovely homework that is adding a somatic stimulus that here we get to one of the reasons for the VU that you do is that it's a reverse engineered, you know, physiological request. Okay, we need to pause before we go into that one. It's important and it's real and it's going to skirt the physiology of the VU, which we'll go ahead and save that fully for another episode. And it's going to skirt the invitations on how to talk to people about this. But we'll come into that this is a reverse engineered activity. It's thought about. There's definitive reason to do it. It's not a catch-all to make the body always feel good. It's discerned and we should kind of have some clarity around central features of its discernment so we know how and why we're applying it in different amounts in different ways for different people at different times. So we'll do that right after this promotional moment. In this promotional moment, what we'll do is we'll tell you about Twig's Where to Start program. That's found at sereflections.com under the offerings tab. And it's one of my two paid programs found on that website. Everything else is set up to be free access to try to help more people have access to it. But the way that I maintain the site and really able to add anything to it is when people buy either my guide to the SE language or my where to start program. And the where to start program really focuses on how to bring new clients into the process of participating with you as a somatic experiencing practitioner to do more like what we find with our colleagues in the training, where when we're practicing with one another, we share the language and the design of the work so that really our requests are successful, particularly as we get through the training and we're in advance and we're working with our fellows. You know, it often feels like we're doing really good work and our requests are well attuned and adapted and people really feel the benefit of having their attention supported and guided in the way that we're learning how to do in SE. And then we go do that in, quote, the real world, where people haven't been in the training and they haven't that shared language and they haven't the success of all the earlier sessions and they haven't witnessed 
all of the demonstrations and they haven't read the books and they haven't invested three years and so many thousands of dollars in the training and all of that exposure, they're, they're in their lives and often in their distress. And our requests from the training don't always translate to their experience of success with the work. We often ask things that we ask of our colleagues when they're our practice clients that work really well and we ask the same question of our clients and a lot of times they go flat. So how to address that, what to do, help people bring themselves into the experience of success with our request. That's kind of part of what I go over in the Where to Start program. And that can be found again at sereflections.com in the offerings tab. Okay, let's go back to the episode. The VU sound is a reverse engineered physiological experiment. You could call it a exercise. If, if you keep in mind, part of our language thing that we often try to move toward the language of curiosity. And in that, the language of experimentation is more curiosity provoking. Despotar sua curiosidade. It's like more eliciting of your curiosity than an exercise where there's the impression that you're supposed to do an exercise correctly. So that kind of thing leans into this, that we want to use this to evoke curiosity about what's happening or what's going to happen. And we also ourselves want to be curious. Um, there's another sideways one we're going to come back to, but the VU sound is very helpful diagnostically. So our curiosity about how does a person respond to the VU sound and the request that we made for them with our, like the level that we start off or continue to ask them and what their body's response is to it, that is just really important. Back to it. It's reverse engineered as an activity to become curious, become more curious, become more inviting, become more participatory with felt sense experience. And it's working in that way, quote, reverse engineered. It's trying to do several things that the body would do well if the autonomic nervous system was self-organizing well at this moment. That's one of the reasons why the requests for it, the titrations of it, have to be attenuated or adjusted for different people in different physiological states or kind of nervous system phases or states, influences from different subsystems of the autonomic nervous system making people's oxygenation work differently and the vocalization work differently as one example. You have to adjust that because if their system was working well, they would be able to do this with ease. But if their system isn't working well, they're not going to be able to do this with ease. And yet, if you get the titration right, you help the body do more of what it would want to do if it was working well. So in a kind of a parentheses, that's a central feature of why it was so helpful for me last month when I was having that kind of asthmatic, didn't have asthma, but I had asthmatic-like conditions going on where I had that conservation state playing out 
had the contrarian reaction, the paradoxical reaction, where as I got excited, scared, had to mobilize, my sympathetic system was coming up, my dorsal vagal complex was trying to shut me back down again, was going into that conservation state, trying to go, you know, don't move kind of thing, and my breathing would feel very shut down. The reason it helped so much was that I knew, thankfully, that I needed to do the titrations of the VU minuscule. I mean, at times they were not even the sound, they were just the notion extending the exhalation. It's one of the features of the VU sound. And by extending the exhalation and talking to my system a little bit more about how it would want to go if it was working more like it would want to work if it was working well, getting the right titration of that helped my body feel more like it could do more of what it wanted to do. And, and I could hit those titrations progressively accurately, like one after the next, not everyone becoming easier, but over time, definitely moving in that direction where they would extend as my body got to do more of what it wanted to do. It could do more of what it would do if it was doing it well. And then it could do more of what it could do if it was doing it well and then finally I could breathe again and I could speak again and I could even sing and dance again with joy that I was no longer feeling suffocation. So there's this thing, I mean not just one, but there's several aspects about the VU sound. There are other ways to make a reverse engineered intervention that accounts for how would the autonomic nervous system work if it was working well what would it do if it was doing more or less what it would want to do? And that's very Porgesian kind of way of seeing it, that there are aspects of the nervous system that given appropriate signaling, as an example, prosocial behavior. Prosocial behavior is a natural outcome of the ventral vagal complex working more, which is a natural outcome of the neuroception perceiving sufficient safety in the environment and not picking up on a somatic cue that says that neuroception is inaccurate. So also having a neuroception internally that says that things feel safe enough. So having both an external and an internal sense of safety allows the ventral vagal complex to work. That allows the face, head and neck, eyes, vocal cords, hearing to work that just spontaneously moves prosocial behavior. We will pick up on other people's signals more, we'll reflect our signals back to them, our social engagement system will work better. And mo most likely in that, that sufficient safety, we'll be more prosocial than antisocial. So it's like a kind of truism about this, that the nerves involved in all of these systems, particularly that one that I just mentioned, are bi-directional. I don't know if it's particularly, maybe they all are, but definitely is true for that ventral vagal complex, that when you're not feeling safe enough, but you know that it's not as bad as you feel, if you have good reason to not have to be running or fighting or fleeing in this moment, it's an ongoing kind of feeling state, there's good reason to play with interventions that ask you to move your face, that ask you to move your eyes, that ask you to move your head and neck, that ask you to listen to 
various tones or melodic music that stimulate the frequencies associated to the ventral vagal complex working in our hearing or ask you to vocalize so as to stimulate use of the ventral vagal complex so that the nervous system will feel in a way, and I think that's a perfectly sound way to say it, that the sensory system will feel the motor system using those things in the same kind of way that if the body was feeling safer, the ventral vagal social engagement system would work more. If the social engagement system is working more, the body will feel safer. And that's one reason you can do those kind of things like orientation and spend enough time looking around and talking about things that you see and don't press this from the start, but eventually turning the head and neck as part of it and allowing the eyes to take in the world around us and letting the free movement of the eyes, head and neck to start to come more into availability, people will often feel or perhaps not notice in themselves, but you can see their bodies take an easier breath or their heart rate kind of get into the middle zone a little bit. If they were more aroused on the sympathetic side, you can see their heart rate coming down. If they were more shut down on the dorsal vagal side of things, you can see their heart rate coming up. Sometimes they can report that. Sometimes you can witness that. You can either see it in their carotid artery, in their neck, if you're looking at a really refined level, but you can also just appreciate their tone of things. This person was more round up. They're a little bit more settled. Oh, they were really more shut down. They're a little bit more awake. Those are reverse engineered interventions. And the Vu sound is like one of those. It's a, it's thought, it's been thought about, you know, for whatever reason, it's also very similar to toning in other traditions. And for whatever reason, there are other practices that have so much value and similarity to them. And in this way, I don't know Peter's like initial find on it. I'd love to hear that story. Still haven't heard that story that I'm aware of. But definitively over time, these aspects of it have really clearly emerged. Like the one we just mentioned, it's a stimulus on the ventral vagal complex. If you get the titration right, you're asking the body to organize oxygenation and then vocalization using that social engagement system, asking the larynx and frinks to work, giving a true signal of use of that system. And if it's not overly taxing, a highly stimulating out of that person's range of tolerance in order to do, then you're going to get to use more of the ventral vagal complex while you make this sound. And that, that's a really savvy thing to do. But it goes, it goes further than that though. Um, so, you know, edge on the physiology stuff of this for a moment. So we have this relationship between our breathing and our heart rate, and they tend to call that respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And the heart rate while we're breathing has a variable to it that they tend to call heart rate variability, HRV, heart rate variability and respiratory sinus arrhythmia. They kind of lay that out as RSA. 
And the notion is that our heart rate or a notion, this is like a thing. This is not something that anybody's making up. This is a thing that our bodies do. As we inhale, our heart rate is variable and it increases. Our heart rate increases. Our heart goes faster as we inhale. And my understanding of that is that it takes something like more metabolic effort to inhale than it does to exhale. And so therefore to accommodate that, the, so here's the notion, we'll get into the weeds a little bit here. The vagal break that is mediated primarily by, or dominantly ideally, by the ventral vagal complex, the VVC, the social engagement system, all of those nerves that are associated in the complex to our social engagement system that organize our head, neck, and face, the nodding of our head, the turning of our head, expression of emotion, most emotions, a lot of the nuanced emotions in our face, not just not anger and fear so much, those are sympathetic facial expressions, but like nuance of face and spontaneity of facial expression. Being able to listen to the frequencies of the human voice in our ear, through our ear, picking up, you know, that's the part of the beauty of all of this, you start getting into how it all wraps together. Picking up on the fluctuations in the airwaves that represent sound waves that make the kind of drumbeat in our ears go up and down, translates the up and down into sound or registered as sound in our brain, and we hear the thing that's happening out there. Well, that same system is the same system that makes our voice make those sounds. And in fact, it's so related that the quality of the modulation in the prosody of somebody's voice is having that little drum beat go up and down, up and down, and the more of that up and down, the more of that up and down that there is, the more modulation in the ventral vagal complex there is. And so the more it turns on or lights up or affects the ventral vagal complex of the person listening. That's an aspect of child rearing when the caregiver is cooing to the child and is trying to have a kind of settling sound and the sound is rising and falling. Oh yeah, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's gonna be okay, 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 okay. Like all of that modulation is to try and have that tambour, that drum head go up and down, have more modulation to come into the ventral vagal complex to have more modulation to help. In fact, I mean, it's not quite so linear as this, but it's all associated like this, that the effect on the heart rate, the heart rate variability has more modulation. And one of the places where this modulation is most readily seen is in heart rate variability, the changing of the heart rate within the breathing cycle. I mean, I don't know if they always measure it just purely within the breathing cycle, but that is one measure and that's, I guess, the way that they measure respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And that is that within a breathing cycle, they're able to track how our hearts and lungs have this relationship where when our system is working well, the heart rate will go faster when we're inhaling 
and the heart rate will quiet or go slower when we are exhaling. And the modulation of that is influenced most, really to make that happen, I guess, in a, in a refined way, to make that happen kind of in it all, I guess, is a sign of vagal tone which is a sign of the ventral vagal complex working well. And, you know, it's so nuanced that as we inhale, the ventral vagal complex is letting off on its influence on the heart rate a little bit. It's letting up on the vagal break. The heart is then free to go faster, which is what it would do if the vagal break really let off and we would go into the sympathetic system, the heart rate would go faster. So in this petite way, the vagal break is letting off as we inhale, the heart rate is going a little bit faster. And as we exhale, the break comes back on, the ventral vagal slows down or modulates, mediates the sympathetics a little bit, and the heart rate slows down. So one of the values of doing the VU sound is that it extends the exhalation. And you know, this is a kind of a thing out there, the, oh, you're feeling panicky, take a deep breath. That's really a colloquial wisdom that's common sense. We need to be careful. It turns out that is a dicey thing to do. You know, if you take a quick, deep, full, strong breath, <gasps> One of the things you end up doing is eliciting the secondary breathing muscles, muscles that extend the ribs, that give the lungs a little bit more space, that allow you to take a deeper, bigger breath. It's true. But if you do that in an excitatory way, um, maybe if you do it too much at all, but it's certainly true if you do it in a quick excitatory way, you're essentially reproducing, you, you, I don't mean to say you, dear listener, but when we do that, we're eliciting the sympathetic system to do what it would do if we were running for our lives or suddenly startled and we needed to get more oxygen in order to fight or flee. The primary example of that that I'm aware of, that I guess I learned this in bodywork school, but it's really Peter that's helped me. Peter Levine, he goes over this sometimes and helped me get it. But like the scalene muscles in our neck, they're going from the transverse processes of your spinal column in your neck, cervical spine, muscles that are coming down off the side of your neck, all of us, into the upper ribs underneath the clavicles and what we call the first and second rib. And those are like tiny little ribs at the top of the lungs. And when we take a big breath, <gasps> we like shusta, like in Brazilian Portuguese, you get like startled, shusta. You get, what is that word in English? You get scared, startled. Somebody makes you jump, a jump scare. Those muscles, the scalenes, they lift those ribs, which lifts the upper lobes of the lungs, which give you a little bit more breathing, a little bit more oxygen so that you can defend yourself. We don't want to elicit those muscles. Those muscles like the aspects of the ventral vagal complex that we were talking about before, they're bi-directional in terms of their communication with the brain. So their use is telling the brain that 
there's something, some reason to be fighting or fleeing. In the same way that if we were stressed, we would probably be using those a lot. And you see that in people. So we don't want to intentionally take a big breath that causes those secondary breathing muscles that are more like for survival action to happen because they'll tell the body, I'm doing something related to survival. If we're trying to help the body calm down, this is the notion of this reverse engineered kind of thing. What would the body do if it was calming down? The heart rate would slow down or it would get more mediated by the ventral vagal complex. And the place where that does that the most within the breathing cycle is when we're exhaling. And the longer it gets to do that, the more time it has to influence that. So one of the reverse engineered aspects of the VU sound is that you're giving the ventral vagal complex more time to affect its influence on the vagal break and thus to help the heart rate variability catch that kind of deactivation side of that variability. Now, that's kind of like on the edge of the physiology of the VU sound, but you know, there's the aspect of this in syndromal conditions where this heart rate variability and respiratory sinus arrhythmia get inverted. And rather than the breath coming up with heart rate, it can instead go the opposite or the breath can come up and the heart rate can go down. And um, that's, I mean, that's on the edge of what we're talking about here, but really that's wiser to say, oh yeah, there's more. See, there's more, there's more. So many reasons for the VU that you do. Other reasons that it's reverse engineered. So the vagus, the 10th cranial nerve, known as the vagus, but really we respect, thanks to Stephen Porges, that there's a polyvagal system, there's multiple vagus nerves, there's multiple cranial nerves that have influence on the parasympathetic system. Some of them, and depending on where they emerge from in the brain and go to in the body, they are related to two different subsystems from the parasympathetic system. One of them, the ventral vagal complex, one of them, the dorsal vagal complex, the ventral vagal complex being related to nerves that move from the brain, from a particular part of the brain, the nucleus ambiguous, out into the face, head and neck, have everything to do with social engagement and with mastication and swallowing and with vocalization and with perceiving the periphery of our environment so that we can do orientation and threat assessment without having too much excitation until it's a kind of assessed danger. So that whole system also has visceral components in terms of swallowing and tearing and yeah, swallowing, glossopharyngeal, but then also within the heart and the lungs, helping to manage that vagal break on the heart rate and also help to organize the lungs. Don't get me, don't ask me. It helps breathing happen better. And the vagus, the wandering nerve, the 10th cranial nerve, the central focus of the dorsal vagal complex, the nerve that's bringing everything all the communication between the brain and the subdiaphragmatic viscera, everything that's below our respiratory diaphragm, 
our digestion and elimination stuff. An important thing to be said about that because that's how we all talk about it. It's the vagus nerve, but then you'll hear Porges point out this truth about the anatomy. It's a trunk nerve or it's a trunk conduit that has, I don't know, countless nerves inside of it. And it's not just one nerve. It's just so many nerves going through a sheath known as the vagus and that's running down from the brain along kind of the side and back of the throat down little branches that are going off also to the heart and lungs and then eventually through the spinal side the we should say the anterior wall of the posterior compartment of the thoracic cavity <laughs> right so it's like you have your chest and in the back of your chest there is this trunk nerve that's running down and going through a little hole in your diaphragm that eventually opens out and spreads out into all of your glands and organs of the viscera whoa you know and a big deal about this is part of the physiology of the VU, but it is it, part of the reverse engineered aspect of this, the reason what for the VU that you do. It's like some estimated 80% of the communication between the belly and the brain, between the viscera and the brain, is afferent, is going from the belly to the brain, and 20%, so they say, is going from the brain to the belly. So there is this remarkable, well, one, importance of what the belly has to say to the brain, and two, disproportionate communication between the brain and the belly, or the belly and the brain. It's, there's so much ease with that understanding to see that if you have a gut feeling that something is wrong, the sure feeling in your gut that something is wrong, it's so much easier for that to have a communication influence on your brain perceiving that something is wrong than it is for your brain to say to your belly nothing's wrong big deal big big deal i mean this isn't the primary reason people get stuck in quote freeze immobility where the dorsal vagal complex which is what is represented by this vagus nerve, this 10th cranial nerve, that system, the dorsal vagal complex, the associated nerves that do all of this rest and digestion, digestion and elimination business subdiaphragmatically, but also surge in the case of neuroception, the nervous system's perception of overwhelming danger, under a neuroception of overwhelming life threat this system surges, dramatically slows down the heart rate, dramatically slows down breathing or compromises oxygenation, carbon dioxide exchange, dramatically limits motility and mobility in the body and mobility in terms of movement and motility in terms of visceral movement. You get a real shutdown of everything, as it said, there's no need to worry about digestion when you feel like you're gonna die. And the free movement of peristalsis, of movement in the belly to help things move along and do their thing on their way out, 
for that to happen, there has to be appropriate, quote, vagal tone, appropriate tone in the smooth muscles and instruction for movement in the viscera for those smooth muscles to contract and expand, to kind of roll along in their wave-like function. If the dorsal vagal complex is overly active, if there's too high a vagal tone, if the dorsal vagal complex is surging, as in the case of freeze and mobility states, if that becomes a chronic issue where the dorsal vagal complex is becoming a dominant response to stimulus and the world is stimulating, this system can get very much stuck where things aren't moving. And, and what do they say? One of the hallmarks of the freeze mobility response is that the body produces endogenous opiates that allow you to have pain reduction or numbing of pain while you're in a life-threatening circumstances. And also this quality of shutdown leads to just lack of feedback. You just, you know, uh, for various reasons, neurochemical and just sensorial and lack of movement, you can feel numb, just, just numb. And, and people report that. You, any of us might experience that at times. Some of us have experienced that for extended periods of time. And one of the reverse engineered aspects of the VU sound is to vibrate the throat through that ventral vagal action of making sound and to have that vibration talk to or kind of move a little bit the 10th cranial nerve, which in a way is just right behind the throat and is carrying communication between the brain and the belly. And to have that system, which can often get stuck, shut down, less mobile than it could be, less motile than it could be, to have it have a little tiny titrated movement. You know, if it was like a big movement, it was a big deal, it'd probably like cause a problem. It, even a little bit of movement could cause the system to shift from say staying clenched to suddenly opening and that's a thing people who have constipation can go with the system not opening and then everything opens and it moves to diarrhea that's a kind of aspect of the physiology behind this but there's qualities inside of the autonomic nervous system that can lead to the dorsovagal complex overworking working more becoming conditioned to work working extra more than it needs to, not working in a self-regulating pattern, but more as in a kind of like chronic state of abundant use. And consequently, stuff of the body not to work well. And along comes this little idea, like let's just give a little bit of movement. Let's just tell the system, here's a little pendulation the vibration, like here's a little wave. It's a tight, constricted little wave, a little vibration. And keep in mind the vagus nerve, the dorsal vagal complex, it's that unmyelinated nerve or collection of nerves as compared to the highly modulating ventral vagal complex that's allowed to, to do that dance with respiratory sinus arrhythmia and the heart rate variability. It's rising and slowing the heart rate. That happens quickly 
and to happen quickly, it requires those nerves between the brain and the heart being myelinated. And that's an aspect of the newer ventral vagal complex. The older dorsal vagal complex that's responsible for our digestion and elimination and this whole kind of like visceral area, that's an older style of nerve. The communication is older, slower, said to move in long wave-like patterns. So um, if it gets this message of being stuck, not moving, 80% of the belly saying to the brain, not moving, the brain trying to say, perhaps everything's okay, it doesn't matter. The predominance of communication is like things are not moving. A sensorial message of things not moving says something must be wrong. Might as well stay in this conservation state. The brain just kind of reinforces the neuroception that something is wrong to a place where, okay, I should just stay in this conservation state. Oh, I feel like I can't move, right? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in the nervous system leading to feelings and sensations and, you know, psychological states of depression and shutdown and lack of mobility, utility, mobilization. All of that understandable. And then what are you gonna do? You're gonna ask that system to move a lot? You can't. It would just take it as a threat. So there's this like notion, we're gonna give it a tiny little bit of vibration, a tiny little bit of sensation, a tiny little bit of communication that says something's moving here. And again, if you do that in rounds, if you titrate that up from a smaller amount to a larger amount over time, you can help the system to explore what happens when it has a little bit of, in a word, freer movement or a little bit of movement at all. These reverse engineered aspects, it's playing with more physiology stuff besides that we're now not going to get into. But we'll go into this next, okay, so it's like reverse engineered. It, if you get behind that, you can say, oh, wow, that influences how much of these things I want to do for different people's current condition. Somebody who's expressing a lot of syndromal circumstance in their life, really going to attenuate this VU request. Somebody who's got a lot of active mobilization going and I want to give their body something to do with all of this movement. They got a lot of structure and capacity for bigger VU sounds, kind of more room and access to sensation. It's going to be a different titration for these different scenarios, which it's kind of calls up a crossroads. There's two, there's more, there's two more right on the edge of here, two more reasons for the VU that you do. One is it's like this titratable way to access sensation or to engage embodiment or to give people a thing to pay attention to, to start to become more embodied. And it's true. Somebody's going to say, I don't feel anything. And that's saying something, you know, like this vibration is taking place and there's no influence from it. That's saying something. It's not saying don't do it anymore. It's saying find a way to help this happen more often in small amounts where it can build up more of the signal that it will be noticeable. So it, it's like a wonderful activity to encourage embodiment. And because of its reverse engineered perspectives, that it should be titrated, that it should be appropriate to the person's physiological 
capacity and state that it's speaking to the ventral vagal complex and it's asking that system to work a little bit more so the titration should be within its range of success. It's stimulating the dorsal vagal complex, which might not be moving very much, but we want that movement to happen, but we want it to happen. And it absolutely, at the more refined level to it, starting with an absolutely acceptable level, which can then be increased. But to start with, why not just go ahead and make that something that can happen again? It's just wonderful embodiment practice, and it's informed in a way to try to say, help this be something that we can do more of that will help us feel more which will help us become more embodied which will help us be more interested and curious about what other feelings we have rather than the ones that for not everybody but for a lot of people would feel like they just don't change or that they're not worth paying attention to this is a signal to say oh something can change in fact even that first one of activation and deactivation cycles, it's really, there's another subset of that, of trying to talk to the nervous system and the body experience about the pattern of sensations changing, which actually brings us right back to this other fork that we were just at, which is that the VU sound is critical for a helping affect the just noticeable difference related to energy well transitions. There, throughout the work, there's all this talk about titration and importance of the right amount of st stimulus and feeling state and activation so that the person can be with it and witness it and it notice other things that are happening, notice it as it changes so that it can do itself, pendulate, move through. And frankly, for a lot of folks who aren't ready for that organic allowance, it's not going to move through and we're there to help facilitate their attention to notice other things to broaden their attention to facilitate pendulation so that a feeling state that perhaps is more repetitive and less likely to pendulate on its own and organically move through as it were can start to do so judging how much of that facilitation we need to do i know that's like a big deal at the same time there comes a point where the necessity for getting the titration correct is paramount. And this is advanced one kind of business. And again, we're gonna border right in on the physiology of the VU sound again, which is not necessarily the focus of this episode, but the many reasons for the VU that you do, one of them is that it gives you a tool, an activity, a experimentation, an exercise, a thing to do that, I don't know, it makes it more likely for you to get the titration correct to affect what we'd think of as an energy well shift or a kind of a change in energy well, rather than, you know, I guess too much of a feeling state shift that causes too much change where a more reactive or as we tend to refer to this a syndromal system will take that change as a reproduction in the language of the last episode 106 it'll take it as a reproduction of going off the chaotic cusp uh, which essentially mean reinforce the discontinuity of the transition of state 
leading to a reproduction of the system's likelihood that next time there's a transition, it will miss that one too and reproduce that chaos. And what I'm saying is continue to do something of the flip-flop between dorsal vagal behavior and sympathetic behavior of the body. One of the features of advanced one and the syndromal kind of stuff is to recognize that the system can get unfortunately it's really it's really unfortunate but like given confused incomplete repetitive failure of the completion of the autonomic stress response if we don't get to in our earliest days and through our lives get to successfully move through the startle orient fight flight if necessary, if necessary, go into freeze immobility, get through that danger changes, re-engage and complete the incomplete aspects of the fight and flight behavior, regain safety, extinguish all the unnecessary self-protective instructions, come back out into current moment, ventral vagal dominant influence. By moving through that cycle, help the nervous system gain the conditioning that says, oh, I go into stress response and I'm gonna move through the whole thing. And for so many reasons, this whole process doesn't get to complete and there can become a radical confusion of what to do with stimulus, what to do with arousal, what to do with a feeling state, what to do with a challenge in the world around me, outside of me, inside of me, to where the nervous system tragically is kind of overly influenced by the sympathetic nervous system or the dorsal vagal complex and most likely doing some kind of flip-flopping between the two on its own timing for somebody spending much more time in the dorsal vagal side another person much more time in the sympathetic side or some random pattern in between the two and over time that happens long enough that's going to both repeat and reinforce itself. It's also going to thwart most any effort to help that change. Particularly, we, we now appreciate, I only know this because of what Peter did in Berkeley in the 1960s and then that people like Stephen Hoskinson translated his dissertation to me and then I could go back and read Peter's dissertation and kind of see what he was saying. And this is a background of advanced one, but it's to try to say that if the nervous system has gotten into that quality of confusion, where it's no longer transitioning back into what we would now describe as a dominance of a ventral vagal complex, the social engagement influence state, which is then down-regulating the sympathetics and the dorsal vagal. If the body isn't getting to do that, and it's not been able to do that enough, long enough, then every little transition off of what it's been doing, even if what it's been doing is really uncomfortable and ruinous in a way, it's still taken as a problem if it's different than what it's been doing. It becomes kind of conditioned to doing its incoherent erratic behavior. It's very costly health-wise, very costly feeling state-wise, deeply debilitating in terms of matching the pace of society, although I guess 
some parts of it could get you wound up for matching some parts of society. But the notion is that you just don't get to do all the nuance of well-being. And Peter's big find is that to help that system come out of that confusion, you have to affect minute changes. You know, the, the language of this is all incorrect because you, you get the wrong impression that you know how big it is, but it's somehow miniature, minute, minuscule, barely anything, the tiniest little drop of difference, the just noticeable difference. It's a quality of feeling state shift or change wherein the thing that was happening before has just a tiny little bit or a noticeable bit more space or capacity to feel the same kind of thing again, or still, but it's not as compressed. It's not as tight. The quote energy well is a little bit bigger. The container is a little bit bigger to handle more or less the same kind of feeling. And that change is not a big deal. It's not meant to be a big deal. It's explicitly meant to not be a big deal right now. You can't, I gotta say that, you can't use this as a way to justify people not feeling any different. <laughs> you can't, you don't do that. You know, it's, we have to go small. You, uh, you, you know, we have to go at the right amount. And if we hit the right amount, people are going to start to feel different. So that's a key with these energy wells is that the right amount, when the system is highly agitated, often is something that doesn't feel commensurate with the problem state of things being so tightly bound. You want relief. You don't want a tiny little bit of feeling state change. You want something that means something different to you. And problematic with that is that the system will take that, even if you got that feeling, oh, I feel really relaxed. It'll be just like Nancy, the ex example of Nancy in Peter's book, Waking the Tiger. There'll be a real settling and then there'll be a real kickback against the settling. You'll go back into a quote, a higher energy well. The nervous system will pendulate. It'll go back, to, it'll reinforce what it was doing the other way if you try and make too big of a change. Instead, what we're after is the signal that change can happen without repeating some big deal that change can happen and be assimilated, integrated, that change can happen and it's okay. And the Vu sound is fabulously helpful at organizing that. Because you, again, you can organize the amount of stimulus. You can organize the amount of attention. You can first get up just the notion that we're learning how to pay attention to ourselves. You can get up the notion that we're learning how to track what's the influence of something that's happening that we're noticing as it happens and by having it be short-lived enough and minimal enough that it's not onerous to do the task to where eventually we can build up the amount of stimulus that it doesn't create a big deal difference but there is a kind of change that takes place because something moves along it's in precise language but it's something very much like that and if you work your way up to the right titration from an easier, lesser amount of thing to where you're affecting energy well shifts with the VU sound, which is easier to do 
generally, than say inside of content where again the content might be explosive or might be associated to other things that you don't have as much refined influence on. The Vu sound really, one of the central reasons for the Vu that you do is to give you this physiological influence on a person's nervous system state when their nervous system is expressing a lot of discontinuity or extreme shifts like between dorsal vagal and sympathetic behaviors expressed in syndromal conditions. You get to use the VU as this little stimulus to talk to the system to just say, hey, here's a little feeling state and watch that feeling state shift. Oh, and it quiets, right? Oh, and we do a little bit more. Oh, wow. And then it quiets. Oh, we do a little bit more. Oh, and there was like a little something feeling like something was a little different after that. Oh, you know, I mean, it's, it's really a poor way to describe the energy wells and how precise that needs to get. But it's a way to say, that's enough. We quote, did what we were trying to do here. And yes, now we have to fill in the time without having things become so excitatory that they lead back to the same old pattern of everything becoming too much again. But the VU gives us that organizing principle that other things can do the same thing. The I work as an example is another exquisite way that you can like do a thing that gives you the practitioner a precise amount of like, oh, that's the first artifact or first consequence of this action that the system isn't super smooth with. That's its first perturbation. Let's not add any more to it. And you just go to that first sign of unsmooth behavior, an overcoupling signal like blinking or tracking of the head with the eyes now or facial tension or an undercoupling sign like the eyes jump or the eyes fog out. Those kind of things are like so helpful because they give you these tiny, tiny precise, it could be very stimulating for somebody, but the practitioner side, oh yeah, that's the amount of something I'm after, just the first sign of something happening. So there, that's another reason for the VU that you do is to work inside of the range of syndromal conditions to affect energy well shifts where you have a more precise influence and control over the titration and the amount of stimulus and the amount of attending to the felt sense experience as a consequence of doing the action. There's another one. And with it, we'll walk to the last one that we'll do with this. It's, um, I mean, really, the, gosh, there's so many more. <laughs> there aren't there, gosh. There's so many reasons for the VU that you do. I mean, you know, we're talking about it all in terms of these sensitivities and introductions now. And I'm going to come to this last one that I'm going to do. But before I do the last one now, I'll take this little side route and say like, and then there's all the reasons that you do it for stimulus. Oh, this person's ready to evoke more sympathetic arousal. Let's move up through the various different titrations where it's not about making a small VU sound, but it's more about adding in other movements of the jaw, of adding in more aggressive sounds, adding in the teeth. And all of that is like titration up. So we'll talk about that in the invitations next time an application. But like you can definitely use the VU sound to evoke the sympathetic system and to kind of have 
rounds of activation that aren't just about getting the titration perfectly right at that more sensitive level or about helping the system track transition of state like activation and deactivation cycles or start to learn how to feel itself or find that sensation to the viscera is an okay thing to happen. All of that is really super sound. And then it can become like, oh, there's resiliency and robustness in this room or we've played with it enough that it's not a problem and now it's time to experiment with a more healthy aggression focus of this. And we're gonna turn this from voo to vuar to vuarg, you know, so. Again, we'll come to that in application again, but it's certainly not all about settling. It's certainly not all about just tracking a pleasantness. It's also about evocation and having some amount of organizing principle around when and how you evoke. One more that is a little bit more on the settling side and fits very closely with that business around energy wells is that the VU is a, is a really sound way to track the sense of coherence, to evoke increasing coherence and to give time and attention for that evocation to be noticed and to give feedback when you see signs of coherency increasing. So what is that? That reverse engineered business around there are physiological aspects of doing the VU that is trying to ask the system in a titrated fashion to do more of what it would do well if it was working well, to do more of what it would do if it was working well in a titrated amount so that it's able to do that well. What an idea, what an idea, rather than constantly trying to do something that is hard to do and that causes a, a feedback of, of lack of success or of distress in the system every time it doesn't succeed at doing it. Like I had in that last episode when I was talking about trying to take a deeper breath and not being able to take a deeper breath. And as finally I started taking smaller breaths and extending the exhalation and my capacity to take a breath grew. So you got to get the titration right. So the body feels the success with the thing that it's trying to do. If it gets that I'm not saying this is like a immediate thing when the system is very confused, but it's certainly the notion of a reverse engineered intervention is to try to get the system to do more of what it would want to do if it was doing that well already and to make that a successful action to where the physiology gets to feel those systems doing themselves more. Within the physiology of the VU, you're asking the ventral vagal complex to work more in a more organized, coordinated fashion, breathing, toning, feeling the vibration, all of the stimulus in there, calling attention to it, listening, tracking. That's what one of the earlier ones should have been said. It's just like, it helps you organize teaching people how to track feelings and sensations as they happen and as they change in the body. And to be able to do that with a something that you had influence on helping to choose how much of that to do. Wonderfully helpful. When you call up these aspects of the physiology and you get them working at the right amount 
and the system isn't super, the word that comes to mind is friable to paying attention to itself. And any of us could happen that way. And some of us are like that quite a lot. To pay attention to ourselves is to just have everything get going. So you can't have that still happening. That would want for smaller waves of this, smaller amounts of this. And then you could do intermittent tracking which is early in the SE Reflections uh, archive, kind of the concept of continuous or intermittent tracking. But presuming the capacity for more continuous tracking, where a person can have a feeling happen and be with that feeling, and there's a kind of classic line, without doing anything to make it be different, without trying to make it be more of itself or less of itself or change in any particular way, but being curious about it as it happens, allowing yourself to feel that feeling or that sensation, that happening. And as you notice that happening, be curious, what happens next? Does it increase? Does it decrease? Does it stay the same? Or does it change to something else? That kind of capacity to do that, to engage a feeling, to be with it, to track it without trying to make it be a different, without trying to do something different, without trying to get away from it, without not being able to be with it because you're attracted to something else or bothered too much by it. That capacity for tracking and not have that tracking cause more arousal so that the thing can change, whatever it is. If it's going to organize and therefore maybe needs more arousal or it's going to evoke more arousal, that's fine. It's going to do itself. That's fine if it is fine. If this kind of capacity of the body is present, if the nervous system is self-regulating in this way and you can ride with these feeling states enough without the person intentionally or unintentionally getting overly involved in what happens instead of observing it, tracking it. If that, if that's in place enough, you can continuously track and continuously tracking the backside of the VU sound, particularly not like at threshold of like the most VU that one can do, but really calling in a lot of this vibration and longer exhalation where the heart rate is having more time to be influenced by the ventral vagal complex slowing down or evoking that influence on the vagal break the time and attention for the sensorium to pick everything up it's a perfect environment for it even is in a way reverse engineered to call forward aspects of coherency. Coherency being, amongst other explanations for it, but a central explanation for it is any time that two elements or subsystems that are in a bigger system together line up a little bit more in some kind of coordinated reciprocity or communication or feedback with one another. You know, so you, you get a little bit more organization or communication or really desired behavior of say like the respiratory sinus arrhythmia and the heart rate variability. You get a little bit more organized communication between the heart and the lungs. Those two different subsystems of the body 
get to communicate with one another. They get to say, oh, that, oh, that's your pace. Oh, that's your, oh, oh, that's cool. This is mine. Oh, we're kind of more in sync. Now that doesn't mean they come into the exact same timing, but they come into their arrhythmic timing more, as it were, um, coherently. <laughs> you know, it's terrible to do that, but they're more in right communication with one another. And the key about coherence is that it grows. It grows over time. It needs time to grow. It needs time to grow. It doesn't just all become coherent all at once. Coherency is a kind of a wave, an exchange of waves that are coming more into relationship with one another. And they need time to get that feedback and sync up with one another. There are ways to talk about this in terms of like waves in a pond where all the waves in a pond are scattered in incoherent, chaotic to one another, and it's just a bunch of chop. But then two waves line up with one another and they're more organized in doing so. And they're quote, more coherent. And this is like an old invitation of Peter's for doing the Vu sound and to talking about the Vu sound. So we'll look at it next time. But it's the notion that you're trying to help some of the waves in all of this choppy incoherency or discordant sensations and feeling states of the body to kind of line up together and to have them become just a little bit more coherent, but a little bit more self-organized or a little bit more reflective of one another. As that happens, the practitioner ideal is that we give feedback at the moment of that happening, you know, so that it's not just a thing that happens and it's a sensory blur with all the other incoherent things happening, which are likely getting active attention, but certainly they don't need extra attention. They've likely been reinforced quite a lot, but what does need extra attention is the system lining up better together. What does need extra attention is the moments where there is more self-organization so that there's an invitation of attention to notice that and have it, you know, influence and feedback on the system that, oh, this is happening right now and here to not get involved so that there can be more time for the body to both perceive that this more coherent thing has happened and to let more of it happen without the influence of attention derailing that. So we have a sign of coherence, like your breath, more movement in your breath, uh, excuse me, more as you breathed, as you, as your body breathed, <laughs> your chest cavity opened more and your shoulders rolled more and there was more translation of tissue in the body. There was less holding back against that uh, mobility of the body for the muscles to move and more motility. There was like more room inside for things to slide against one another without kind of being held together. That increased allowance for movement is a sign of increased coherency. 
And when that happens, we idealize that we give, I mean, I idealize that I give, I try to give the just right amount of positive reflection to that. Like sometimes it's a small amount and you give just a small little feedback. Uh-huh. And sometimes it's a bigger deal. It's, oh yeah. Sometimes it's like a really big deal or just the peak of that. And that's what I would think of as the famous Peter Levine, that's it moment. Ah, oh, that's it. Uh, said it elsewhere. We want to be judicious about when we say that's it so that we don't bury that into just a blur of that's it's. They, it. It wants to stand out when it's particularly organizing. And so there are like these sub-threshold feedbacks of, oh, we're moving in the right direction. Oh, something just became a little bit smoother, a little bit more in communication with something else. And as that happens, we give feedback for that and encouragement to continue to allow that to happen without doing anything else other than watching it happen and letting the body perceive these moments of increasing coherence. A beautiful aspect about coherency is that it grows with time and it grows as any two subsystems come into increasing coherence then it starts to, like in the wave function kind of thing, if two waves came together and they were a slightly bigger wave, it, they have ever so slightly more amplitude and such. In a really chaotic environment, they're that much more likely to pick up another wave or come into relationship to another wave and still stay themselves and help to affect another wave. So it's like the signal of coherency grows inside of a system and it will have like only so much that it can do this at any one time particularly the more chaos is in the room but it can like grow more and more as the system becomes more and more coherent and the vu sound is a kind of reverse engineered physiologically informed psychobiologically savvy activity to do to build up a person's interest and tolerance and visceral capacity to encourage enough of a stimulus to take place wherein there's a bit of a response of the body wherein in organizing for that response it becomes more coherent and we're able to let that happen and get the goods out of that for and it could be for a short period of time particularly in the case of energy wells needing it to be a short period of time and sometimes just a real nice long settling thing to get to use as a way to get into a different feeling state which is definitely one of the reasons for the vu that we do is to help us get into a different feeling state to talk to the viscera to talk to the dorsal vagal complex that might be overly shut down to evoke more of the ventral vagal complex, to talk to the system, as well as to give the organizing principle of activation and deactivation cycles in a person's experience, many for which don't really have that happening. It's more like activation leads to more activation until there's so much going on, until there's a need for a shutdown. So many reasons for the VU that you do 
And anybody who needed to hack that into one little soundbite about like how you do this in order to affect the feeling state shift that you really want, you just had to go through a laborious exploration with Twig around all of these things. And hopefully by now you see that it's very nuanced, that it allows you a lot of range to help people take interest in the work, as well as to safely talk to the body, as well as good reason to have it happen more often so that the body will be evoking more subtle but important sensory experience that'll make more aliveness and vitality tolerable to the body. Okay, my friends, I am wishing you, you got to know this by now, I am wishing you all the success and ease in your work and in your life and hoping that you will take up the charge, take up the task, explore the Vu sound in your own life, share it in some savvy kind of way with your family. Uh, one of the reasons we didn't even, we didn't even talk about this one, but it's, it's a really good thing to do in panic once you've learned how to do it. Once you're kind of already familiar with it, you realize you're having a challenging moment. You got to make a phone call that you feel unsure of and unsteady about. It's a really helpful activity to do to get your ventral vagal complex working a little bit more and to uh, give a little bit of felt sense feeling shift from something that can feel really unsettling, even truly unsettling, as I described in episode 106 and a dozen other examples of that besides, as well as just, we didn't even talk about this, to help digestion move. There's so many reasons for the VU that you do. So look, it needs your exploration. One of the reasons that it's taught as a mystery school kind of thing is that if you do what I've just done and explain it all, you think you know what it's supposed to do. It's got so many reasons, so many values, so many possible influences. It wants, you want to explore it, you know, have it in your family life, have it in your daily life. This is my advocacy for you and do it with your clients you know, touch on another time, but like, I, I don't do it once, you know, I teach it, I do it with somebody and then, and then I bring it back around and then I bring it back around again. And by the time I bring it back around the third time, I, in the, f by the fifth or sixth session, we've done it three or four times, sometimes as a focus of a session, probably when we're learning it and then little bits peppered into other sessions somewhere in here everybody who I work with, have worked with, knows that it's something that we're going to do again and that I am encouraging them to do more regularly. So it's not SE. It's not the only thing that we do. We wouldn't want to replace SE with the VU sound. We definitely don't want to leave it in the training. It is massively important to your work. Enough is enough. I'm wishing you the very best out there. You take good care. We'll talk next time about invitations and application methods and opportunities for the VU, and another time, the physiology of the VU sound, which we did talk about in good measure tonight, today, for you. Can't hear it enough, I bet. Take care.
Bye bye. Okay, we'll have a little tracking twig moment here. Some of you are going to be wondering, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I got through my little mold exposure thing. I am so lucky that it was short-lived. I'm lucky. And I know that not everybody who has such a thing like that is as fortunate as I was to find it early enough and to be able to get away from it. But I did. I was able to get away from it. And then I got evicted, which is kind of a bummer because I had a, a sweet little house. But the owners... I had a sweet little rental, but the owners, understandably, they decided that they're going to do a bunch of remodel work to make sure that no problem like that happens again. So I'm into temporary housing and I'm living well, and I'm also doing consultations on the regular, often from a temporary location until I resettle myself. But nevertheless, you can find me for a consultation. Other People are available for consultations too, but so am I. And I am at sereflections.com and under schedule, you can see my availability and I'd only look forward to talking about your work with you. Okay, wishing you well and uh, that's that.